Good morning. I'm Babby Mason, and my friend Allison and I are going to lead you in worship. We just encourage you to learn these words if you don't know this song. We'll teach it to you, but we expect you and invite you to sing it with us, all right? It's called Love is the More Excellent Way. I could speak with the tongues of men and angels. But if I don't have a love, I'm just a clanging symbol. I can have the faith to remove the mountains. But if I don't have love, then I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is humble all of the time. Not easily angered, enduring the test. Love is the more excellent way. Now that's your response. Love is the more excellent way. Sing it with me, all right? Oh, yeah. I can have the gift of prophecy. Love is the more excellent way. And if I don't have love, does it profit me? Love is the more excellent way. I could understand all mystery. Love is the more excellent way. And if I don't have a love, it's not enough, you see. Love is the more excellent yeah. way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is humble all of the time. Not easily anchored, enduring the test. Love is the more excellent way. I could throw my body into the flame. But if I don't have love, I don't have anything. Love is the more excellent way. I could give to the poor everything I own. Love is the more excellent way. But a heart without love is like a heart of stone. Love is the more excellent way.
You've been walking the same old road for miles and you know this, don't you? Sing it. If you've been hearing the same old voice, tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill that same old hole inside, well, there's a better life. Yes, there's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom and saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Yeah. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from a single fight. We've all run to things we know that just ain't right. When there's a better life, there's a better Somebody testify this morning. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe it, yeah. if you receive it, you can feel it. Somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. have your seat. So happy to be worshiping with you this morning and so happy to be singing with my girlfriend, Allison Everill. Do you just love her? That girl is my sister. Yeah, she's my sister. Well, I love to write songs and uh, this song that I'm going to sing for you is a favorite of mine that I wrote back in the 90s with a good friend of mine by the name of Eddie Carswell. And the words are inspired by uh, some, wor some words that Dr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote in some of his writings. And the words say this, God is too wise 
to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. And when you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. And we're living in a season where it just seems like everything is up for grabs. And if you've, you know, I think sometimes we're just too connected to our news feed, you know, and sometimes we just need to unplug so that the peace that passes all understanding can help us trust the Lord. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your path. You know, I'm having this memory. When I, when we came in this morning, I looked around the room, I saw us fellowshipping and it was time to take our seats. Everyone sat down. I didn't see anyone checking their chair to see if the chair would hold them up. I didn't see anybody, you know, checking the, the legs, if they were stable, or the screws, or the joints, if they were all stable. We just sat down because we have a relationship with chairs, right? <laughs> we, we put our trust in chairs because they have a history uh, of holding us up, and we trust them. As a matter of fact, I just want you to do this. On the count of three, just raise your hand and your feet off the floor. Just, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that chair is holding you up. But just to prove a point, on three, I want you to raise your hands and your feet. One, two, three. That chair is holding you up totally, right? You get that. That's my point. We put our faith in chairs. How much more can we place our faith in God who is holding us in the center of his hand? And so when you cannot trace the hand of God, you must know that he is working all things together for your good. You don't know how, you don't know when, you don't know where, but you trust that he will because he's a trustworthy God. And so will you just allow these words to just minister to your heart this morning? When you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. Sometimes blind us to the truth. But our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember. You're never alone. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. 
future in his hand so don't live as those who have no home all our hope is found in him we see the present clearly oh but he sees the first Like a tapestry, he's weaving you and me to someday be just like him, just like Jesus. God is too wise to be mistaken, and God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart, trust his heart, he alone is faithful and true, and he alone knows what is best for you, for you. God is too good to be unkind When you don't understand When you don't see His plan When you can't trace His hand Trust His heart When you don't understand to have grown up in a pastor's family. Uh, my father pastored one church for 40 years, his first and only pastorate. Uh, he and my mom are from the South. My mom is from Mississippi. My father was born in Alabama, and, and when he was younger, moved to Mississippi, and that's where he met my mother. And they moved uh, north to Michigan during the Great Migration when many black people were moving north uh, from the South to find work, and my father uh, was bivocational for a while, uh, working in a tire and rubber factory there in, in Jackson, Michigan, where I was born and raised. But not long after that, began to assume the full-time responsibility of pastoring the church. And so we were raised literally in the church. They didn't, my parents didn't believe in babysitters. They, <laughs> they, they, they dragged us to church, amen, and sometimes kicking and screaming, doing homework right there on the front row. But um, it, was, it was there, though, that, we, that church became 
our, our lifeblood, and I grew up playing the piano in my father's church. And the thing that I remember most about my father's church is uh, Lily, Lily Baptist, Lily Missionary Baptist Church. I remember so well that church uh, and worship in my father's church is a verb. Amen. It's an action word. The Bible says, clap your hands. All you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord this morning? Amen. Yes, God gave you that breath. He gave you that breath. Give him your praise. Yes, I'm going to write that down. He gave you that breath, and you just give him his praise that is due his name with the breath that he's given you, and just make that a, re, a reciprocal uh, just action of praise in your, uh, as you go about your day. But in my daddy's church, we had, we had hymnals, and we, we knew how things were written. But we didn't sing it like that. <laughs> we very rarely sang it the way it was written. But most often, we sang it the way we felt it. And so this morning, I'm going to sing one of my favorite hymns, The Way I Feel It. Is that all right?
your mercy and and glory. Give him praise and glory. Faithfulness. Thank you that you are faithful in all you do and all that you are and that it's so personal. 
Great is your faithfulness unto me. Faithful, Lord, to go to that cross to pay the price for our sin. Faithful to come out of that grave and offer us life. Faithful to take us in our sin and unworthiness and to pardon that sin, as we just sang. Lord, thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness to us. And we celebrate that today. I thank you for the gift of song, of music, that does express, allows us to express our hearts, touches our minds, our hearts, our emotions, all that we are, to respond to you, our faithful God. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. So, Trinity, we wanted to tie in our study of the book of Acts with this day, this weekend, focused on worship and praise. And I thought, well, I don't know if the next passage that we're going to fits, and I realized we, don't, we can just stop right here and look at what we've already seen in the book of Acts, because the very book of Acts and what the church did from the very beginning was a focus on this, doing what we're doing, on worship of our God. So for just a couple minutes, as part of our worship, I want to remind you of that. I want to show you that from our study. So we've been in the book of Acts, right, for the last few months. We've been walking through this amazing story of the birth of the church. We've called the series to the ends of the earth because that's the calling. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen, that He would send His Spirit and that he, these believers would be His witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts, to the ends of the earth. But in the midst of that, their focus, the thing that always brought them back was worship. So the beginning of the book of Acts, we saw this handful of believers who, who went up to the mountain with Jesus and, and watched Him ascend into heaven after His resurrection. They came back, as you remember, to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room. And at that point, they probably still were uncertain what was happening next, confused about what they were supposed to do, maybe even afraid of what the future held. What would they do? What did they do? Was this a time where they got together and they began to organize? Was this the time they began to strategize for building this church? Was this the time they began to just sympathize with each other over losing Jesus? Of course, he wasn't actually gone. Luke tells us what they did. Acts 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That's what they did. They came together and they prayed and they worshiped. And maybe they did like we're doing this morning. Maybe they sang songs of encouragement. Maybe they went to the Psalms and sang there. Maybe they gathered together and they started sharing memories of Jesus' teaching. What had He told them? What were, the, what were they trying to remember of what He had said? What were some of the miracles that he, that he did? And surely they remembered that He had promised them that His Spirit would come to them. He was not going to leave them alone. And so, as they waited, they worshiped, and they prayed. The worship, the worship itself gave them patience in the waiting. It was worship that enabled them to wait and trust that what Jesus said was going to come to pass. Worship gave them patience. 
Well, then the promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. They're all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to begin speaking out about Jesus boldly in all these different languages. Peter gives his first sermon, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus on that first day. It must have been amazing. It must have been thrilling. It must have been overwhelming to those first believers. So what did they do? Did they build a building? Did they form a ministry organization to put all this together? Did they go and march to Rome and demand the equal treatment for this new religion that they'd formed? None of that. Luke tells us what they did. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they did. They came together to learn together and to worship together. That was their focus. They praised God. And they shared everything they had. Remember that from Acts chapter 2? They cared for one another's needs. They gave whatever they could give. They sold what they could sell. They cared for one another. They devoted themselves to true worship and to true fellowship. And worship gave them that compassion for each other. The love that they had for one another grew out of their love for God and their worship of God. Well, then came the persecution. You remember that. The floggings, the imprisonment, threats from the authorities. And surely at this point, they felt like their lives were at risk. This was frightening in a whole new way. Surely they must have been heartbroken as well. Their very own religious leaders were the ones attacking them and threatening them. So what did they do? Did they run and hide? Did they fight back? Did they cave in under this oppression? Luke tells us what they did. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They worshiped. What did they say in that prayer? Do you remember that when we studied that back in Acts chapter 4? They praised God's power. They acknowledged His power, proclaimed His power. They quoted God's Word. They went back to the Psalms, and they remembered what God had said. And then they sought God's strength to continue speaking the Word boldly. That's what they asked for. They came together. They worshiped. They prayed. And what happened? Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. How did that come? How did that boldness come? It came out of worship. Worship gave them boldness to speak. As they turned to God, God filled them with His Spirit, and they spoke boldly. But things didn't get easier. The persecution got worse. Remember that? It started to get deadly. People began to die for their faith in Jesus. First, it was Stephen. We saw that in Acts chapter 7 and 8. Then it was, then it was James who was killed. And then Peter gets thrown into prison. And he's threatened, and it's going to be a trial, and surely he's going to lose his life too. And surely at this point, the believers in Jerusalem must have been worried. They must have been anxious. They may be even terrified. So what did they do? 
Did they plan a jailbreak for Peter? Did they just sit at home biting their fingernails about what was going to happen next? Did they go out and, and update their will, thinking, oh, surely we're all going to die? No. Luke tells us what they did next. Acts 12, 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They came together, and they worshiped, and they prayed. Now, as you remember the story, Luke tells us about this group that met at Mary's house, and that's where Peter went. There, we sang this morning, chain breaker, right? It's right there. In Acts 12, chain breaker, the angel comes in, breaks Peter out of prison. He goes to this house, and they're praying for him. But you know what? Maybe you never thought about this. I'll bet that was not the only house group praying. I'll bet there were groups of believers all over Jerusalem praying for Peter, praying for their church. What did they do? They worshiped. They prayed. And worship, it's worship. They gave them comfort in that moment, encouragement in that moment. It was worship that got them through that, the worst of those fears and dangers that were all around them. They turned to worship. And out of that came the expansion. You remember that? It was the persecution that pushed them out, spread the believers out, spread the gospel out. The church spread, as Jesus said it would, to Judea, to Samaria. It goes all the way up to Antioch in Syria. And the Gentiles, even the Gentiles, were coming to faith. And so the believers knew that Jesus had called them to this. Surely that was passed on, and they said it to one another. They remembered this. Jesus said, we're supposed to be witnesses to Him, to the ends of the earth. But how would that happen? What did they do? Did they go out and plan a fundraiser for all this? Did they form the missions committee and a missions, have a missions conference, and did they put a, a board of the world on the, on the, out in the foyer and mark up where they needed to go next? They didn't know. So what did they do? Luke tells us what they did. Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Shouldn't be a surprise by now, right? As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In the midst of their worship, in the midst of their prayer, the Holy Spirit gives them these next steps. What were they doing? Well, we don't know all the specifics, but maybe they were doing what we're doing here today. Maybe they were singing. They were praying. They were worshiping together. And in the midst of that corporate worship, the Holy Spirit moved and called and sent. Worship gave them direction. It was out of worship that they discovered the next step. It was out of worship that they understood God's will for them. The practice of God's people in doing this, this practice of praise and music and prayer and the Word that we're so used to because it's just become part of our practice as believers, as the church. But this is the very thing that has, has spanned generations, centuries, from the very beginning of the church. This has crossed over all different cultures. So yes, it looks different in other parts of the world, but it's all about worship. Worship. 
Corporate worship is and always will be vital to our faith, the lifeblood of the church. If we stop worshiping, we will lose our way. A few weeks ago, I heard a non-Christian talking about this, looking at the church from the outside, viewing what we do as believers in worship, and here's what he said. Why does God need praise anyway? If He's God, why does He need us to lift Him up? Why is He always demanding honor and respect? Is He really that needy? What that reflects is a complete misunderstanding of what worship is all about. This is not because God needs our worship. It's not because He needs us to lift Him up or to make Him feel good in some kind of way. It completely misses the point. What is worship? Why are we called to worship? Why do we do what we do as believers? Well, the word comes from the old English. Perhaps you know some of this derivation from the word, this word, words put together, worship. It's about worthiness. So it's not about someone who needs or wants respect. It's about one who is worthy of respect and praise and honor. Our worship is a recognition of God's glory and of His greatness and His goodness. It's in corporate worship. What we are doing today and in all the songs that we've already sung, we are agreeing together about God and His worthiness. He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is worthy of our thanksgiving. We're not here to boost God's ego. We are proclaiming God's inherent value, who He already is, His own inherent worthiness. It's a little bit like a diamond. If I, I'm not an expert, so if I look at a diamond, I may not understand its value. It's shiny and it looks pretty, but I, I can't necessarily see what it's worth. But someone who knows about diamonds, whose experience with diamonds, can look at that and see the four C's. That's my understanding. I wouldn't know how to do this, but it's the four C's. And so, it's about the carrot, which is the weight. It's about color. It's about cut. It's about clarity. All those things go into the value of a diamond. And that expert can look at that diamond and not give it value, but proclaim, see, and understand its value. She proclaims that diamond and its worthiness. And that's what we do in worship. We who have experienced, who have, who have received God's blessing, who have received His love, who have been touched in our lives, changed and transformed by God, we can proclaim the worthiness the value of our God, His authenticity, His authority, His grace, His glory. So here it is. Listen to this sentence. When we worship Him, when we praise Him, when we pray to Him, we are acknowledging His inherent value and worthiness, and that is true worship. And over and over in the book of Acts, we see that the church was a worshiping church. 
That's what marked them. That's what we've just seen in review this morning. In private and in public, in good times and bad times, in ease and in hardship, in times of clarity, in times of confusion, it didn't matter. The church always came back together in worship. You know, this next week, Beth and I are going to Nashville. We're going to be attending what's called the Sing Conference. There'll be pastors and worship leaders from all over the country. The whole point of the conference this week is to encourage and equip leaders for this priority of biblical, God-honoring corporate worship. That's the focus all week long. We appreciate your prayers as we go and as we continue to learn what it means to lead and to be a worshiping church. Because worship is vital to who we are. Our worship prepares us and it points us for that one day when we will all be together as saints gathered and we will experience the ultimate corporate worship service, right? In the presence of our God. We'll join together with believers, saints from all different tribes and languages, nations, cultures, colors, and we will be there at the throne of God. And what will be our focus? Focus is on the Lamb. The one who sits on the throne and on the Lamb, slain for us. And we will worship. The book of Revelation gives us a clear view of what that will be like. Just a sense of what we will be proclaiming about His worthiness. And I'd like us to say those verses together. If you would stand with me, we're going to have these verses on the screen, Revelation 5 and 12 and then 5, 13. These are the words of worship that will be proclaimed for eternity. Read with me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and praise. And they go on, they say again, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever.
seventh chapter of the book of the Revelation, beginning at the ninth verse through the twelfth verses. After the vision of these things, I looked, and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They were shouting in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. They all bowed down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Let the church say amen. amen. Say amen again, church. There was a holy hush all over as I walked into the room and I stood before him face to face. I was gloriously made new. There was a great and awesome presence and a light as bright as day as I bowed to kneel with the angels. I heard the Spirit say, all rise, all rise To stand before the throne In the presence of the Holy One All rise, all rise As we worship the Messiah All rise
Then I looked at those all around me with their hands uplifted high. And the Spirit laid his hands on me and I uplifted mine. We were singing a hallelujahs and praises to his name. As I bowed to kneel with the angels, I heard the Spirit say, All rise, we stand before the throne in the presence of the Holy One. All rise, oh, rise, as we worship the Messiah, sing holy, 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 worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Is to come, he is the great I am. Oh, rise, oh, rise. We stand before the throne in the presence of the Holy One. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all that you are worthy of. And Lord, we look forward to that day as we've just been giving these glimpses of what this will be one day when we are standing in your presence. And face to face, we are enabled to finally fully experience the fullness of your glory, the fullness of your grace, all that you have for us, all that you intend for us, all that you've promised us, that it all comes to fruition in that day. And until then, Lord Jesus, 
You've called us to worship you here and now, to proclaim your worthiness, your glory, and your grace to a world that is hurting and troubled and fallen and in sin. It's chained, enslaved by that sin. Lord, we have a message of freedom, a message of life, a message of your goodness and glory. So, Lord, help us to be true, active worshipers, not just when we are gathered here in this room, in this place as your people, but as we go out, wherever we are, that your worthiness would flow from our lips, that our worship would be expressed in how we work, how we relate to others, the things that we say to others, the way we act, that our worship would be woven around everything that we do, every day that we do it. Lord, may we live for you here and now in the anticipation of the not yet and to come because we know of what's coming to live for you now and worship you now. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. I well, thank Babby and Charles for being with us. Thank you for being a part of this weekend and for Allison and putting this together and arranging the weekend. And we, uh, we never want to leave on a Sunday morning without giving you this opportunity and this encouragement. If you're here today and you've heard all this and experienced it, maybe even sung along with some of the songs, but you've never personally committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, You've never taken that step of confessing your sin and putting your faith in Him. If you're not sure that you will be there one day when this glory, glorious worship service takes place in heaven, if you're unsure about that at all, please talk to us, me, Pastor Jason, any of our elders or deacons who have the name tags on. Let us know. Ask us. Talk to us. We would love that opportunity to minister to you, pray for you. Have any questions about Trinity? Have any needs this morning? Just want somebody to pray for you. Let us know that too. And today, like every Sunday, we, as we give, we, we no longer pass the bags anymore, but we take time in our service to sing the doxology because it's a reminder to us that all that we have is from God. All blessings flow from Him. It's only because He blesses us that we are then able to give and bless others. And so whether you gave online or whether you put something in the box on your way out, this is the time where we remember. It's kind of our closing praise song as well today. We want to sing together this doxology to Him from whom all blessings flow. Praise.